the two of us moved in together March 2020 into this apartment. Oh my god! Living together for the first time, not at all realizing <laughs> that like we were like. I was like, oh, look, it's yeah, it's kind of crazy that like work is telling us that we should stay home for like two weeks. That's a weird thing that's never happened in my life. But hey, like we can move in right now and like we'll pass the time by building the IKEA furniture and then this will all be over. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. That that's not uh, Do you go from like the like, oh, we're just moved in together. We get to spend two weeks. Like we're going to like spend so much like intimate time together. And then now all of a sudden it's like, oh my uh, God, we have to survive it, this relationship. <laughs> No, totally, totally. And and my the thing is coming out of it, both of our therapists were like, Well, you guys made it. A lot of people didn't. Mm-hmm. So like, that's exactly what I was gonna yeah. say. You made it. A, yeah. Like yeah. a lot of lot of yeah. relationships a did not make that. Not, so yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. We need to pause yeah. because I just saw something. Is that a fucking key work on your arm? Yep. I love yep. that. Okay, yeah, we're best that? friends now. Rob, do you want to explain? Yeah, there's a my one of my favorite bands growing up is this band called coheed and cambria they're from nyack new york and they are a progressive rock slash emo slash i don't know they're in my mind they're like the most important band of the last 20 years and all of their albums are a fucking sci-fi space opera and there's like nine albums now or something crazy i'm just like this is this explain like my enjoyment of this is like explains everything about who i am as a, as a person I'm like, oh, you made a rock band that's also Star Wars? Okay, that's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. You'll be my favorite band for my entire life. Yeah, no, they're fucking sick. I they're My amazing. first show, the, the first concert I ever went to was they were playing, I think it was a, like an Alzheimer's cha- like charity show at the Highline Ballroom in New York, which is, oh, wow. I don't think it's there anymore, but it's like across the street from Google's office, actually. So that's a funny... Yeah. And I made my dad, my dad come with me to take, take me to the show. So he spent his 40th birthday seeing this weird <laughs> sci-fi <laughs> rock band with his like 12 year old son or whatever. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. I've seen them a few times in New York at like terminal five. So maybe yep. we were at a same yep. show or something. That's yeah. That's Coheed's one of those like bands that you either don't like them or you're ready to get them tattooed on your body. Oh yeah, there's no there's no in between no at in all. Between. I've never I've never met someone who's like, yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> like extremely, extremely divisive. But I time is I think time has proven us right. They keep mm-hmm. like yeah, just oh god, they're fucking amazing. All right, so and, this and episode so yeah. is this episode's gonna be reviewing the new Coheed album that just dropped. Oh my gosh, I'm taking myself out of this conversation. Like is this how other people feel when I'm talking about my TV shows? (laughs) No, it's just, it's just that. So I don't know if you know this about Raimi, but Raimi like doesn't like music. I don't care. That's what people always say. It's not even that I dislike it. I just, it doesn't do anything for me. I don't listen to it. This is, I, I don't personally fault you for this, but this is un- unrelatable. I do need to say, I'm going to, I'm going to share this anecdote with you. When I, when I visited the college I went to for like admitted students weekend, I, <laughs> so yeah, I went and one of the guys who was like staying with me, there was like a, there was a current student who was hosting us and there's like three or four people on this thing. And one of the guys there was like, yeah, I'm like really excited for college and like really hoping like I developed like a taste in music while I'm here. And I was like, what, what the fuck does that even mean? Like that is the weirdest shit I've ever heard at human. Anyway, I'm sorry, Remy. I'm not trying to dunk. No, on no, no, it's podcast, fine. I've but heard I... it 
all. I've already heard it. Whatever you're going to say, I've heard it. But like, it does make, okay, it does make sense to me because it's like, as somebody that has no taste in, like, you could probably like give me that space opera music and then give me like I mean, Justin Bieber right <laughs> and I would be like, it's given me the same thing. I don't, I don't dislike music. I just don't like, I'm ambivalent. I'm neutral. So, so like, do you like during the work day, like, do you like, do you listen to music when you work at all? Or are you like, I listen to podcasts. You listen to podcasts. See, I can't do that because I like, I mean, I honestly even have trouble listening to music with lyrics during the work mm-hmm. day. Cause I just get focused on what's being said. So I'll like, you I'll, I'll skew more towards music without vocals because of that so a podcast i definitely couldn't do because i would just not do any work it like almost if something doesn't have vocals that distracts me more like i need people talking in my head or like <laughs> around me <laughs> to like concentrate i don't know i wow. know it's weird yeah well you probably know a lot about a lot of things like which is like more than i can say so i'm like i don't know anything that's happening in the world but i can tell you the entire plot of access to a window of the making mind making mind the new code in cambria oh god okay yeah send it to me wait were you were you also one last question were you also like the person because this is who i was when taylor hawkins r.i.p passed away recently were you the person who's like did you know that he also drummed on the no world for tomorrow yes yes Oh, yeah, we're no, the oh worst type of fans. Oh my god, I was yeah, no, the Instagram post was literally like no world for tomorrow and I was like RIP Taylor and then being like, yeah, I bet no one's going to even know what this is about. They're going to be like, <laughs> what's this? Yeah. It came it came at a critical time in that band's history and made sure that they didn't fucking call it. Oh uh, my god. All right, well, I think we've <laughs> we've Okay, I can end this. For Ramey. Can I can end, end this. This All right. I'm Ramy. That's Robbie. That's Rob, and this is I Would Never Know, a podcast. love this (laughs) all right so we're continuing our talk about unions hopefully if we can get off of this music situation yeah rob is back here with us he didn't leave it's been five minutes and now we're gonna dive into what the alphabet workers union is actually doing like what are the cases that y'all are doing right now and Actually, before we get into that, I'm just wondering if so. I have a issue that's come up at Google as an. Em- I'm now a Google employee, and I have an issue. Do I just go to you and bring it up? Like, what's the process? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I would hope you would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we. I mean, I guess. Look, it depends. I mean, I would say yes. Like, generally speaking, yes. Like, we. I think we try to offer you know a space to like actually help people go through the problems and also like just with the advice 
from people who've been through the situations themselves and not just like whatever HR would say. Mm -hmm. Right. What if Amy's not in the union? Does she still get Mm -hmm. helped by the union? Okay. That's a great question. I mean, I don't think that we would say no to like trying to help you out. I mean, I think, but I also think that like there is a, we would certainly try to, I would say by helping you try to show you like why it be, why it would be valuable for you to join it and, and pay that back too. Right. And, and not paying back and being like, okay, now give us your money, but being like, no, like help us help other people too. Right. I think that there's like a, a really big just component of trying to look out for our coworkers that this whole thing is actually rooted in. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that there's an official policy on this, but I'm, I'm certainly like, yeah, don't be a dick. Help bring <laughs> like help bring me with what's happening I mean, to her. So I guess, I guess it's on like a freemium model then. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> an annual, yeah, an annual subscription model to union services. I would think that if I come to you with an issue, it's probably like a, in some way a systemic issue. You know, a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, none of these things exist in a, in a bubble, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it would probably be something that the union would want to take a look at anyway, but. I know last episode, you talked very briefly that the union is working on caste discrimination. So if you could, yep, tell us about what's going on there. Yeah. So, okay. For the listeners at home, by the way, I am a a white guy. (laughs) So just so you know, I'm not speaking from a place of like having actually lived through these issues myself, but there's a, so there's a really large population of, of South Asian workers at Google and both in, in, I think, the tech industry at large. And the caste system is this, it's effectively the system that is based on your family's heritage that assigns you into a, a particular caste. And there are high castes and low castes. And there's a caste right at the very bottom called, uh, I believe is how it's pronounced, which means broken. And um, in this... T- yeah. Oh, I just wanted to. So I read just a whole bunch of articles. Once again, I kept also, spamming them too. Yeah. I mean, they were great, but also not at all an expert on this. But I do like my understanding was that Dalits actually are like almost outside of the system. Like when I was seeing the the visual representations, there yeah. was the bottom, and then there was like the Dalits out even outside of that. I think that might be. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I might know. be wrong about like. I don't know how it's like within and without, but it's certainly the like the lowest class possible. Right. So like lots of, lots of discrimination that takes place. And my, my org was supposed to have a a talk hosted a couple of months ago. So there's this, there's this organization called the quality labs in the United States that does a bunch of work doing education around caste, both in and outside of the workplace and, and what it means to be a caste oppressed person. And my former coworker, Tanuja Gupta, who was like a, she was a super high level program manager at Google, um, was basically chaired and like ran all the DEI programs within my org. And she had, we had this like speaker series that we would do every couple months where a speaker would be invited to come talk to, to our org about, you know, various different issues. And I think as the, as the news organization at Google, we, you know, a, a lot of folks are really you know, we care a lot about getting our products right. And also understanding like, you know, we have a huge responsibility to all of our users across the world to like make sure that they're not, you know, given misinformation, right? Like the, the fake news stuff 
is real. There's a lot of bad actors out there. And, and, and obviously having any context for, for different things that are going on throughout the world and how marginalized communities are impacted in, in different ways is just beneficial for us in our work, right? So this was like a talk really centered around, I believe the talk was actually about like how cast impacts folks who are working in newsrooms specifically. So that was going to be the talk, mm-hmm. right? So it was really targeted towards our, our organization. And the, the talk ended up getting postponed and then ultimately canceled after some group of workers at Google sent emails around, around this particular speaker who was going to come and talk to us, basically saying like, hey, this, is, this speaker promotes um, like anti-Hindu rhetoric. It's making me feel like extremely you know, insecure in the workplace. Like I feel like I'm in danger. I feel like I'm being targeted, oppressed a bunch of things like that and sent, sent these emails to like a bunch of people in our org, like leadership within our org, but also all the way up the, the email, sorry, all the way up the corporate ladder, basically like up to and including our CEO. And so the talk, the talk ended up getting canceled and Nuja, this, this coworker of mine was really fighting to have this talk reinstated because she, she knew the speaker, the Tanuja comes from a half Hindu, half Jane background. So she's like speaking from an, and, you know, a background of authoritativeness on, on these issues and was really like, look, this is, this is an incident of folks who, you know, don't want the speaker to come because of their, really their ideology, not because that this is like, this person is promoting anti-Hindu rhetoric. Like this is, you know, the caste system is, is a real thing there. And with that system comes power imbalance, right? Like there are people who have more power in the system than, than folks at the bottom of it. And I believe Equality Labs had solicited a bunch of like, you know, reports from people across different companies, you know, at basically trying to get more data on, on like how this issue presents itself in the United States. And I think like at least 20 Googlers came forth being like, Hey, yeah, like I I'm impacted by this form of discrimination in the workplace. And so, yeah, so basically this group of workers complains and talk gets canceled and Tunisia ends up, you know, fighting to get it reinstated. And ultimately after a series of events transpires, like it becomes apparent that not only is this talk not going to be reinstated, but Tanuja's performance was basically going to be docked as a result of her effort for trying to like get this talk promoted and to bring it back. While all this was happening, one of Tanuja's, so she was a manager, one of her direct reports was doxed on Twitter by the folks who, by, well, we don't know who doxed, the, doxed her report on Twitter. And ultimately, like, I don't think anything came of that investigation. And Tanuja, yeah, it's like, look, you're going to be, your, your performance is going to be impacted because of this, because you've, you've caused harm to, to other workers at the company and made them feel unsafe. And, you know, as a, as a manager, that's clearly not something that, that you can do, which in my opinion is, you know, I think, frankly, ludicrous. Like, I think that I don't, I have a very hard time understanding how Tanuja's actions made anyone feel unsafe. And I also think that there's a big difference between being made to feel uncomfortable when, you know, being confronted with the reality that like there are people being discriminated against. And this, I think this backlash from folks who don't want to, you know, see, don't want there to be this conversation happening, frankly. Right. Like they, I mean, they didn't want this to talk about. It's, I mean, it's just, I mean, as <laughs> I don't know, as a black woman in the U S like living in the world, generally, I, I know this sort of song and dance very well. It's you're being confronted with your privilege and your power is being threatened and that makes you feel unsafe. So I just want to put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Tanisha ends up, she ends up leaving the company. I think if I was in her position, I would probably do the same thing. 
frankly, oh. like I think, yeah. Sorry, I don't. Sorry to keep interrupting. I just wanted to point out also that yes, her performance was being like basically lowered. All of that that also affects pay. Just yes. to just to make sure that people realize that. And just to to for context, where where does this line up with the union's existence? Was she a part of the union? Sure. So she was not, Tanuja was not a member of the union. Uh, I think that (laughs) I was, I'm so frustrated because the week I found out she was leaving was the week where I was about to have the conversation with her (laughs) to be like, I want Uh, you to join the union. But she was also one of the organizers who led the walkout in 2018. Uh, So she's like, she's not a, she's not someone who has had not kind of really spoken out at the company before. She's like, Mm -hmm truly i think remarkable and but was willing to push push buttons and and you know do you know do things that other people would be uncomfortable to do in the in the name of you know trying to get justice in the workplace and that's you know i don't care how much a, a company is like oh we care about diversity equity and inclusion like no one embodied that more than tanuja did and she got punished for it right so mm-hmm. i think that that was that was really hard on my team for sure like She's super, again, she's like one of the most respected people I, I can possibly imagine. And yeah, was, you know, looking at having her, you know, not getting the, the raise that she was probably supposed to get and, and having other opportunities limited. And I, yeah, like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you would be able to continue working for an employer yeah. who did that to you. Right. Yeah. Which is just a total fucking shame because she'd been at the company for so long. And I think it was like, you know, it's just frankly like a stupid, a stupid business move above everything else. I mean, it, it's this kind of short sightedness that like, honestly makes me in the in the bigger scheme of things too it's just like this is just such a case of the company shooting itself in the foot so super embarrassing but to bring it back to the question like the the intersection with aw was that there were there were folks within awu who were also working on bringing more awareness of this issue in into the company and i believe had been working with tanuja in in kind of an independent like not purely if you're affiliated with aw capacity but like folks who were just like they cared about this issue. They wanted to see it done. They, they also had contacts at, with body labs and, and we're talking with Tunisia. And so kind of, you know, she, she ends up leaving and then we, you know, I end up getting linked up with some of those folks when they find out that she left. And, you know, this is like, I don't want to see this issue die down. Like, this is clearly an important thing there. I clearly have coworkers who are impacted by it. So trying to continue driving the conversation forward on it, um, after, you know, after Tunisia left. And so there's, I think that there's a lot of work that we've done that has not been, is not like super public right now, but I, I would say that we have not, we have not let the issue die down and we're kind of continuing to try and promote awareness of this, make it clear that like, this is, this is a thing that's happening and also make it clear that like, this is, there are really insufficient protections for, for mm-hmm. uh, workers who are impacted by this because cast cast is not, you know, a class that is protected in in our code of conduct, nor is it in the, in, in the law. So it's, you know, it's really like a company in, like, I don't think that it's a clear cut case for someone who's discriminated against us to to present it and, and, you know, see that justice is actually served at the end of the day. Right. So treating somebody differently based on their caste is not protected in the U S yeah, it's not, it's not a, it's not a protected category, but However, and this is something else I read in the articles that you sent me, my understanding is that ancestry is 
that's what they're using to fight it, right? I, mm -hmm. That that might be the case, but I think we we have in particular and additionally like Equality Labs in particular across different places is is pushing for cast to be added explicitly to make mm -hmm. this like a you know a done deal that this is like clearly like it's it's there it's explicit this is not something that you can yeah you can discriminate based upon i'm gonna give a little bit more background and overview about caste discrimination generally what i've read from the articles all of that we'll link the articles below because i'm not a fact factory so as i've been saying so you know read them yourselves but Generally, as you've said, the Dalits have very low socioeconomic conditions in India, basically. The caste system has dictated the kinds of jobs you can get, the education you can get, all of that. I read that currently people are trying to improve this through affirmative action, basically. A lot of it's are getting into like really great universities through these affirmative action programs. And it's much like in the US where everyone is saying, well, I mean, I just got in through hard work and like they have spots reserved for that. You know, it's it like I saw just a lot of similarities between like black Americans and Dalits. And that those that was actually brought up in one of the articles that the leader of the I guess you could call it the adult liberation sort of movement actually had communication with W.E. Du Bois at a certain point, which I thought was really interesting. But all of that to say is that because like the tech industry and in the U.S. has so many people from India, that culture, that hierarchy has been brought over to like our workplace and some of the things that have i read about happening are first of all people trying to suss out sort of what the their cast is to begin with yeah. right so that's done through asking someone's last name asking where they're from even like a pat on the shoulder yeah that is like a i have a friend who is a friend from college actually who is in comes from the the brahmin caste which is the, the highest caste i actually it was very funny i didn't really know that he was particularly religious at all until like very late into our college career but he 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 would always wear this i believe it's this like kind of holy rope thing that like goes around his body and yeah so it's like a pat on the back to try and feel for that is, mm -hmm. is my understanding so like Weird. wearing that you you'd identify like oh okay the person is of the highest caste also not eating meat is another another tell possibly I believe higher caste Indians are, are vegetarian. So yeah, but it's like you said, right? It's not it's not like as easy to tell as like, oh, this person is is white European versus like, oh, like comes from African ancestry, right? Like it's harder. Yeah. You can't tell on first look. So there's like this weird guessing game that happens a little bit. I mean, I think it's like where I think where it's frankly frustrating is the intricacies of this issue and that this is an issue right like this is not this is not like <laughs> this is not like i was a ceo ceo of google three months ago and i was like i don't know anything about this and i don't know like i don't have the cultural context or background to to really understand what, what i'm hearing about like oh this 
this speaker may have been promoting anti-Hindu rhetoric or, or something, right? Like, but like Sundar certainly does, right? Like, yeah, he is, he is, an, he is an Indian from a high caste background. And so I think that that's like one of the even more disappointing aspects of all of this is that this is someone who knows the, very well about the, the intricacies of the system and has not really, I think, met the moment in terms of, of the protections that we should have for these workers at Google. And it's also frustrating because like, we do have these protections for workers at Google in India because it's part of the Indian constitution. So like we have, we have, like, we have like in, in the India code of conduct that caste is protected. There are trainings for it in India, I'm sure. But like, so it's like, what's the, what's the reason to not bring that to the rest of the company? Like, I don't, I just don't understand it on a fundamental level, but yeah, here we are still fighting court. I also want to add that I think the CEO is familiar with this issue, but all of the people who may deal with it or be told about it, like the CEO isn't like fielding messages from somebody over the engineer that is just working on moving this Google ad button around. You know what I mean? Like the people who are dealing, who may be dealing with this, these complaints day to day may not actually understand the issue. And I think that's a big concern as well. I have personally found that when it comes to issues based around like, I mean, this isn't like marginalization that has to do with people like that isn't clear to people, right? It's not black versus white. It's not male versus female. If they don't know about it, they don't want to touch it. You know, part of being a manager is having to figure out how to handle something that you don't personally understand. And so whether that's confronting biases in hiring that you might not personally have experienced yourself or understanding, you know, when you get feedback from someone that they don't jive with a particular cultural aspect of how the team is run and having to be able to impact that and say, okay, you like, why is it that this person who is from a marginalized background is having difficulty with the communication style of the team or with just the way that the team operates? And so part of that is educating yourself. And I've spent a lot of, I've tried to spend a lot of time, you know, educating myself on what does it mean to be somebody who identifies as a woman in tech or somebody who identifies as queer in tech or somebody who comes from an immigrant background, whatever. So I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, wow, if an employee of mine came to me and said, so-and-so is treating me poorly because of the fact that I'm from a different caste, I would have no bearing on... I mean, obviously, if you abstract it out to somebody's treating me differently because of who I am and my background, like, Yes, that is bad. We know that's bad. We have to address that. But when it comes to something like caste discrimination, this is not, as you mentioned, Rob, like there's no training. There's no, I, this has not never been in the playbook for me. So I don't even yeah. know where I'd go for that. Yeah. I mean, and I think that like, I, I, I think, you know, there's the thing which is like, don't, don't ascribe to malice, which, which like can be mm-hmm. otherwise ascribed to like ignorance. And I, I mean, I do think that there's like probably a lot of that going on. It's just, I think a lot of people who like, don't yeah like don't know how to deal with this issue and i also think that the the other part of it that's complicated is like the i mean what i would describe as the the weaponization of like our kind of like rhetoric around like you know 
you know, diversely to, to prevent us from having the real conversation here. Like the, like, Oh, well this, like if, if you were, if you had no idea of what was going on here, right? Like if you had no background into this system at all and a speaker tried to come and then a bunch of people, you got an email from a bunch of people saying like this, this person professes anti-Hindu views. Like I feel like, of course you would be like, Oh shit. Like this is not, not good. Like we, we need to do something about this. Right. But it's like, there it's, it's more complicated than that. And it requires going deeper and actually understanding the, the intricacies here and how, you know, like what, what that actually means. And if these views are actually anti-Hindu or if this is like related more to like, you know, Hindu nationalism movement, um, and like not acknowledging the fact that like, yeah, these people are are also practicing Hindus, like, and they're also impacted by, you know, this issue. So yeah, it's just like, yeah, you don't know what the fuck to do. And you, you obviously don't want to do anything wrong, but I guess where I'm disappointed is the like, like the, the education needs to happen obviously. And then we need to, to do something with it. And it's, it's frustrating having watched this go on for a couple months now. And it's like, we, I feel like we've done the education. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like we've really blown the lid off of like what's going on here, be it between like the, the education resources we've tried to show to coworkers and, and like all the coverage that this has gotten in, in the media. So, you know, it's just like, what's, what's the excuse? Like when, when are you educated enough to make a decision about this? You know? And I feel like that's where my frustration right now is. Well, I think I, I would actually like to, if it's okay, quote Tanuja because she had an interview in the New Yorker and was asked, someone might say, how could I discriminate about caste? I don't even know anything about this, you know, which is like pretty typical. And her response is, you know, I don't fault people for not knowing the intricacies. I fault them for not wanting to learn about it. Willfully not wanting to learn more about certain topics when you hear that people are being discriminated against, choosing not to do anything about it, that is a problem. And so I just wanted to quote that because I really feel like that is sort of probably the crux of not like the the specific issue, but sort of what's going on in terms of why people in DEI are not taking a closer look at this, if that makes sense. And then also I want to briefly, very briefly touch on what she said about the anti-Hinduism, because Mm -hmm. I think people might be confused as to where that's sort of coming from. Basically, there are religious roots in the caste system. From what I understand from my readings, which you can also read because they'll be linked below. So fact check, please fact check yourself. But what she says is that basically we're talking about socioeconomic issues and you can absolutely have a conversation about caste discrimination and know that there may be religious roots, but that's not actually what we're talking about, basically. She gave a good translation to people who are unfamiliar with this issue. She said, if you think about LGBTQ rights, when you have a talk about those kinds of rights, that is not saying you're inherently anti-Christian. So there is your like analogy to people who are more familiar with that kind of thing than this caste discrimination. So I just wanted to Mm. lay that out a little bit and give the context. 
And it's like, I think the other frustrating thing, like the, I believe Tanuja says, I think she says this in the New Yorker article as well, but the first, you know, like the, the real alarm bell going off moment for, for like, especially me was the, was the, when people were like, oh, we shouldn't, like, we shouldn't talk about this. Like mm-hmm. when people start internally being like, this is the thing that we shouldn't talk about. It's like, okay, well now we, now we're definitely talking about it. Like <laughs> we're, we're like stry sanding effect the fuck out of this now. Like a job. But it's like, you know, and it's frustrating too, because the arguments are like, well, this is like, like, oh yeah, this is not an issue anymore. Like this is solved. Like this is not a problem that impacts people day to day. Like it, it's like, like it's protected in the Indian constitution, right? It's the same way, like race is protected in, in our constitution, right? But you would not say that racism is a solved problem in the United States, okay. right? Like, actually like, what this reminded me of is literally like 2010, like when yeah. I was hearing, when I was looking at these conversations, like reading about this, I was like, I can a hundred percent see somebody like coming in to try and talk about race issues like 10 years ago and being, and everyone being like, no, <laughs> no, like, ew, like, you know, racism doesn't exist anymore. Like we've heard that we're not hearing it. Well, first of all, in our liberal bubbles, but we're also like not hearing it right now anymore because like with everything that's come to light but that is a hundred percent like what people do like yeah. it's literally when they're faced with a their privilege and the loss of their power so i'm just saying that but. in familiarizing myself with the situation i took to blind as one does blind for those who don't know who are listening is a, a completely anonymous social network where you log in via your work email so you're identif- the only identifying feature that you have is what company you work for. And so anytime you make a post or comment on it, it'll say Google or Amazon or whatever company. And so when I searched cast and cast Google and, and things like that, a couple of people would reference the articles, but the vast majority of comments were from clear from clearly from, you know, non South Asian people who were like, oh, that sucks. Or from South Asian people who are like, no, caste discrimination doesn't exist. No, this isn't actually a problem. Go away. You're being too sensitive. And so hearing that that was kind of the the hive mind was a little jarring to me. And I don't know, I guess, Rob, as you're obviously with your the union, you're reaching out to people and getting their their thoughts and feelings on this. Like, have you gotten a lot of pushback within the company from people saying this doesn't exist? I think that, I mean, like there are certainly parts of the company that are yeah, like saying it doesn't exist. Right. And I think are, are frustrated by the fact that we won't like shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> it's like, well, sorry, like you open this can of worms, but, but yeah, I mean, there are, there are like, there, there are people who, who think that I don't think that people are saying it as brazenly as they were a couple of months ago. Like when, when all this was first going on, because I think it's just harder to like, again, now that the cat's out of the bag and I think that people are like more well-read and like kind of understand the intricacies of this a little bit more, it's like people are really more willing, at least I've seen to when someone starts engaging in that conversation, being like, nah, dude, I don't think that's it. <laughs> I really don't think it's not a thing anymore. Really seems like it's definitely still a thing. But I mean, I'll say this, it is also, it is also one of the, I guess scarier things I've seen in the in the course of the of the union campaign. Like, 
obviously like I think in my mind I'd prepared myself a lot for like, okay, what is the what is the boss going to do when we, when we unionize, right? What, what is their retaliation going to be? What, like how, what are the repercussions that we're going to see as a result of that? But this is like a kind of a, something that caught me by surprise is like, this is not necessarily something that's coming from the boss, but like a different, like a different set of workers with, with these beliefs. Right. And I think the fact that some people went as far to, you know, kind of organize around trying to get this talk canceled in the first place. And then also like, Tanusha's reports information, you know, getting docs on Twitter, like these are like severe, like these are really like aggressive tactics. And like, there are, there are people who I, I, I work with and have worked with on, on this campaign who like do a lot to shield, um, you know, protect their own anonymity in their involvement because they're really worried about their, their information, th- themselves getting doxxed, themselves coming to personal harm, their families getting harmed. Right. So it's like, that's fucking scary. Like, and that's like, I mean, I would say that's not something I had anticipated being a part of this this effort when I you know signed up two years ago. But I'm glad we're taking it on because this is fucking inexcusable. And the fact that like you know like yeah like you shouldn't be able to fucking dock someone at the company for trying to host a goddamn talk. And like you shouldn't. I don't want to work with you. Like I don't want you to <laughs> fucking work at this place. Like you're a piece of shit. Valid. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very valid. Absolutely. Is there anything else you can tell us about what the union is doing right now on this issue? We might go public with some information soonish. What I can say is that like we, and it was on our Twitter recently, like we did a, we hosted a big concert, like a virtual concert with Equality Labs and a handful of other organizations that promote awareness of this issue this past week that had like several thousand people dial into it online. So like, there's a lot, there's a lot we're doing partnering with other experts in this area to try and promote the message. And that's all, that's all public information at this point. Mm-hmm. Cause like we've been tweeting about it and stuff. Right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to say on this topic before we kind of move on to the other issues? Cause clearly there's not, there's, there's you, so you much. Know, you guys are not doing a whole lot, right? There's not a, like, there's a whole bevy of issues that you have to take on in the union. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, the one thing I would say is that I'm inspired by like AWU's willingness to take this on is, and is something that we're consistently fighting for. And that mm-hmm. we like, there's a model for, for succeeding at, at this particular issue elsewhere. Like the Harvard, the Harvard grad students union got cast protections added to their contract mm-hmm. in this past round of bargaining. And I think that it's like, we talk about, you know, like, I think people do think about bread and butter, like wage issues often when they think about unions, but like, they, they can be and are and have been historically and currently are a means for, for social change too. And so like that win at Harvard is huge. And I hope to see, you know, I hope to see other folks fighting for it in their contracts and certainly folks, you know, who are or have not been aware of this issue, but in the tech sector and in the position where they're going to fight for a contract soon, I hope that this is something that they consider trying to, you know, get in that agreement because it's really like it impacts a lot of people in our industry. Okay. So amongst the other bevy of issues, I know that the union is also working on something about full-time versus sort of contractors, vendors, sort of like a two-tiered system. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is like, um, there there are campaigns within campaigns within campaigns on, (laughs) on, on this issue, but Google, I think like many other large organizations and tech organizations has a, 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 yeah, an effectively two-tiered workforce. So there's a set of full-time employees. 
So these are the people that you're thinking about in the Google offices with, you know, the, the, the fancy food and the free coffee and all the, the nap pods and all this shit. And then there's someone else who make up a huge part of our workforce and, and get none of those benefits and have extremely, extremely different working conditions than, than many of us do. And I think that this is really at the heart of a lot of our organizing. And certainly I don't think for me personally was one of the things that I thought about at all when I was coming into this. But now as I've gotten more involved and talked to people and, and met many of these folks in person, it's something I care a ton about because like Google is a company that makes it an, a ludicrous amount of money every year. A large portion of that is diverted to a, a small number of extremely senior people at the company engineers, I'm not going to lie, make a lot of money, but mm -hmm. like, there's also a lot of other money to go around. And there are people who are making, frankly, poverty wages at Google when there's no need for a company that's as successful as it to, to do that. And these are people who are doing, you know, kind of critical roles for some of our largest products too. Uh, I mentioned, I think in <laughs> earlier, I don't know if it's going to be the last episode or this episode, <laughs> now, but you know, Google has this outstanding, kind of this apparently policy that like every TVC will make a minimum of $15 an hour. And that's just not true. Like if that's their policy, they're not enforcing a lot because I know TVCs who, who had to work multiple jobs and were only making $10 an hour. And you know, these, these workers, they could be data center workers. They could be contractors working on, you know, Amazon mechanical Turk like tasks for Google. Mm -hmm. uh, they could be drivers for, for Waymo or for Google maps, but their working conditions are completely different than ours. I, when, one of the most ridiculous things I think at the beginning of COVID, like, and I mean, one of the most ridiculous benefits that we've gotten, I think ever, there's this company called Q, like C-U-E that make these, these COVID tests. Like, oh, and yeah. these were, these were the tests that, that I think the NBA was using during the NBA finals, like in the bubble to test the players every single day. And these things are like insanely expensive. I think like the, the reader itself is like, I don't know, 250 or $300, but every individual test is like a hundred dollars. And every full-time employee got one and could get up to 20 tests a month, I think, from, from Q paid for it by the company, right? So, so this is like, this is, I mean, you do that math, this is $2,000 worth of tests a month plus this 20. So like over the course of the year, like that times however many full-time employees, that's a ridiculous number of COVID tests. Yeah. But also like, not to say I'm not grateful for it, like I'm super grateful for it, but I didn't need to go into an office. Like I didn't need to go anywhere. And we have tons of TVCs who did need to go to work in the data centers or did need to go drive the, the car for Google Maps or did need and to what do they get? whatever. Nothing. You know, they get like a, they get a different, they get a different, I think maybe a different kind of test. Many of them didn't even know about the benefit because like many of them don't have access to the, the corp website that informed us, but they, they certainly didn't get the Q reader. And so it's like, again, why, like, why is this, why is this the way that we're doing this? Right. And like, again, I think I've, I've said a few times before, but it's like the short sightedness of this is also infuriating. Like the, you know, Google will pay these workers less money to do these jobs. But like, when you add these layers of indirection, like it makes it harder for all of us to do our jobs. Like there are so many, there are, there's a particular class of, of contractor that if like, if they were full-time employees at Google, I would probably work with fairly frequently because of my job role, but I have no direct interaction with them at all. And that lack of, of being able to talk with the people on the other side of this computer screen in person, or, or even over like a normal video call, like introduces so much inefficiency in parts of my job that it's like, frankly, ridiculous. And so it's like, yeah, we are probably saving some money on salaries in some way, but you're not like, you're not calculating in the inefficiency of that. And like, 
how we would be more productive if these were actually folks who were full-time employees. Like, I do think that the math would actually work out in the company's favor, which is ridiculous, right? So it's like, this is just dumb. And again, I think that at the heart of it too, is just like, I, I take deep ethical issue with a company that makes as much money as, as Google does paying poverty wages to anybody. So I need to ask you this. Yeah. You've got a company that makes tons of money, does cool stuff. They're paying poverty wages to people. They're not doing enough to address the societal inequity within their own walls. Why still work at Google? That's a great question. I, I had joked, I think in the first call I had with Remy, where it was like, there's, there's only one thing that you can do other than quitting your job that will piss off your boss more. And it's trying to unionize your job. And I would say that that's probably a little bit of what it is for me, frankly. But it's also like, I mean, I, these problems, like these problems exist at Google, but I think these problems exist at many places in corporate America, right? So like, if I'm, if I'm leaving because I'm unhappy about these problems here, like, I'm not going to solve that by moving somewhere else. Like, I'm just going to get agitated about the problems at that place too. Save like, I don't know, if I work for like, if I start my own company or, or, or work somewhere incredibly small that like is, is only a few people. Right. Like, mm -hmm. but I think it's, I think this is not a symptom of purely Google. I think this is a symptom of like American capitalism and I'd rather try and do something to change it at Google than just jump ship and work a software engineering job somewhere else. And especially I think at a company as large as Google and as powerful as Google that everyone uses, you know, day to day, like, we, I think we also have a big obligation to the people who use all of our products too. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I would feel a lot better about all these people using our products. If the folks who built it had more of a say over, over what we build and how we build it and, and how we, you know, share the, the prosperity that I guess, and the wealth that we make building these things. And so like, I guess it is to say, like, I, I don't believe that leaving this job for another job would like make me feel better <laughs> about any of these things. It would be just trading. It'd be trading the problems for a different set of problems. But then also, I mean, personally, like I like the people I work with a lot. Like I, like, I like my coworkers. I have a, I personally have a very good boss. Like, and I think that that, that also matters a lot to me and has mattered a lot to me in my career. And that's why I've like, that, that's probably more of why I've stayed for so long than anything else is like, I, I like the people I work with and I, I think they're good people. And like, I mean, a lot of them are union members at this point. So, like, you know, I'm, I'm particularly fond of them, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I like my job and I find my job interesting, but I work for a, a, a company and every company is evil. <laughs> so <laughs> trying, trying, trying to make, trying to make Google not evil again is there's no good. In capitalism. Know, it, yeah. So it, it seems like a good use of my time to do this instead of just, leave. I, I love that answer. I do. Because I think there's, you know, there's a, special kind of maturity, but also like, it's kind of what being the essence of what being an employee is, or the essence of what being a citizen is, or, and living under any sort of system is that it's never going to be totally good or totally bad. And so you go into work every day and you're working, you're writing code, you're pushing features, you're taking pride in your work. And you see, it sounds like you enjoy it, but you're also saying there are issues here that make me unhappy. And rather than letting them just make you unhappy, or ignoring them, you're taking time to improve the situation, not only for yourself, but, but for others. And I think that's awesome. I think I'd love to see more of that in the tech industry because, you know, all too often, again, you know, as a manager, I see people who come in, they love the job, they love doing it. And then they find something that they hate 
And then it eats away at them and they say, you know what, fuck this place. And they quit and they leave. And then two years, you know, a year or two later, they do the same thing at that next company because, you know, the grass is never, (laughs) the grass is, it ain't green anywhere. Yeah, totally. And I think that like, I, when I, when the union went public and when I like kind of was like one of the few people on my team at that time who was like, Hey, I I was a part of this. And like, this is why, I mean, a lot of it was like, like I, I I actually truly believe that in terms of all the engineering organizations at Google, like the one I'm a part of is, is one of the best places to work. And we have really good leadership. And a lot of what I was saying when we went public with AWU was like, look, I actually think that what we have here in this part of like the company is really special. And I think that's an anomaly within the company. And I don't see like, like, I think that this thing that we're trying to build with this union is the fastest way to, to spread like culture that cares about our coworkers and like looks out for one another and tries to take, take care of one another, which I really did see in many times in my time on my team to other parts of the company and try and make the company better. And so, yeah, it's like, again, it's like you said, right? Like I, I'd rather, I'd rather just try and make things better for everyone than, than trade the problems and find myself disappointed somewhere else in two years. Love that. I want to take it back to the two-tiered system for a minute, because I would love to know what the work the union is doing to move the needle. Yeah. So, I mean, I can think of a, of a couple of different things that have happened since we went public, really fighting for the, the working conditions of, of TVCs. One of the earliest ones was, it was like pretty, it had been like right around after we, we had first gone public, actually. But we had an AW member named Shannon Waite, who was a was a data center worker in a data center run by Modus Engineering, which is a contractor of Google's. And Shannon was suspended after complaining about, like, I believe salary raises that were supposed to happen. I think some of it was like possibly COVID, like special pay for COVID and like also literally trying to get a replacement for like her water bottle, which had like gotten damaged. And like, I've never been in a data center, but apparently they're like smoldering fucking hot. And so having... Having water, like having a water bottle is like pretty important. She, yeah, was kind of agitating in the workplace around like, hey, we were supposed to get this money and, and we're not getting it. They're withholding it from us. Uh, and they suspended her. And like keeping your employees from talking about their wages is like the number one thing to not do if you're an employer. Like that is the most clear cut, protected, concerted activity case. Like you will lose that shit immediately. And they did. They lost that shit immediately. Like we we yeah. filed an unfair labor practice. Shannon got reinstated. All of those folks got the pay that they were supposed to get. And one of the most beautiful things I remember was that we we had other because they lost this case, Modus also had to post information in in the data centers around like this thing happening and the fact that like workers are free to discuss their wages and their working conditions. And we actually had several you know, folks find out about AWU because this happened, like from them having to post these fucking things in the data centers and then reaching out being like, I'm also having this issue in the workplace. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm dealing with this thing. Like, can you help me? Which was super awesome. There was a, a pay parity website that we launched at one point. There was an investigative report into Google that found we'd underpaid temporary workers across the globe to the tune of $100 million in overtime. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, $100 million in overtime. And I believe the company knew about this for like for an ungodly amount of time before doing anything mm. about it. Like, do. And so, yeah, yeah they, they always know. do. Let me ask you, last time we talked, you were talking about how the childcare workers that, you know, Google, for reference, for the listeners, Google has yeah. childcare in the office. And obviously there are workers 
who work <laughs> in that child care. And you were telling me that the child care workers lost their transportation stipend. Is that yeah, so, within this issue? So this is, a, that was a separate, that was a separate issue. The, because the, the, the unpaid wages goes back mm-hmm. uh, to 2019, whereas the, and I'll talk more about the, the, the child care workers in a second, but that was a, mm-hmm. that was a stipend that they lost during COVID. So I, yeah, so the, the 100 million in overtime that was lost, like, I, I, yeah, I think the report ended up being in 2021 or something, but there's like really high turnover rate also in, in these workers. So like we, I think by our estimates, there are probably tens of thousands of people who are impacted by this and individuals were paid anywhere between 12% to 50% less of the money that they were supposed to make, which is like, Again, that's 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 significant. That's money that was. I mean, this is effectively wage theft, right? In terms of the childcare center workers, so we have. I don't think we have any in the New York office where I'm based, but in the Bay Area, we had four childcare centers, and yeah, so lots of Googlers have kids. This childcare center would provide subsidized childcare to to Google workers by Google workers, and Google was making these childcare workers return to the office even though Google's shuttle service, which like, you know, these buses that run up and down the bay and bring people to campus was suspended. And many of these workers relied on that service um, to, to get to their jobs. Like many of these folks don't, didn't even have their own cars. Childcare workers make an average of $20 an hour, I believe. And they were struggling to find consistent and affordable ways to get to the office. Right. So using, using public transport to get there would take some folks four hours just to get to the office. And an Uber would cost them, like if, if they were to Uber back and forth from the office every day, it would be something around $2,800 a month. So people would be like, we're literally crashing on their friends' couches just to get close to the office and try and, you know, get there. And you, sorry, and so, you said yeah, this is a subsidized, meaning that Google employees are actually paying out of yep. their own pockets for this service. Yep. And they're not, <laughs> where's the money going? Yeah. Great question. Great question. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and management was like, oh, can you like figure out a carpool system? Right. Which is just like, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like just, so again, it's like the, 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 like the nickel and diming at the expense of like the people who actually make this company run to, to do God knows what is just, again, it's, it's ridiculous. Like Google is not a company with, uh, any shortage of cash. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and this is like, People like this is this is a non-trivial benefit too, right? Like childcare is fucking expensive. Like there are people who are probably working at Google because this like this childcare is more affordable for them than whatever other option was there. Yes, and it's and it's not it's not a service that like it's not a, it's not a, a ridiculous benefit. Like it's a it's a tangible benefit that would make a person choose this job over another job. And so to not again to not to not being willing to to either reinstate a shuttle for these folks or, or give a stipend for the tra- transportation costs is just ridiculous. For transparency, I actually don't know how this campaign ended up playing out because I'm sure that mm-hmm. Google is running the, the shuttles again. But at the time, we were asking for a $1,500 a month stipend to, to get these folks to and from the office. Mm-hmm. Per person. Per person, yeah. So I always like to think about things when it comes to companies like this as far as stock price. Yeah. So for example, I had a I was discussing with a coaching client. They were trying to take they were they were considering taking a job. They asked for five grand a year more and the company said no. And I said, Okay, well look at the company's stock. That's literally two shares of yep. the company's stock. So in this case, Alphabet 
is worth about $120 today. Yeah. So what that means is that and that's that's 13 shares of stock yeah. per month that you're asking per point. Like that's that's nothing. Yeah, it's no, I mean it's again, it's 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 just it's just ridiculous. Like I I, I don't know how to uh, like I, I feel like I sound a little bit exhausted saying that at this point, but because I am it's just like I just don't I just don't get it. Like I, at a fundamental level, I just I just don't get it. And and that, like, that stock price that you mentioned, by the way, is after is after a stock split recently yes. because you know, the price was so fucking ridiculous that to like get it to be able to even afford one share was like over $2,000. It was probably closer to three actually at the peak uh, before the split happened. So yeah. And to be like, again, just to be very like, cause I, I just want to make sure that everybody's being brought along for the journey here. Google la- or sorry, alphabet last year reported a revenue in 2021 of 257.6 billion dollars it's a quarter of a trillion dollars so uh, you know i just like not to just like turn the the knife a little bit more but it's just this this concept of don't worry the executives are getting everything that they need don't worry the you know the customers are getting everything that they need like this money exists and so of course you know i think one of the things that I struggle with personally thinking about is like, I think unions are very useful. I think there's a different conversation that a union would have at a startup, a true startup, something that's like series A, pre-series A, whatever, like where there's just not money to go around. And so then it just becomes more about treatment and expectations. But when you have this money, not having anybody to turn around and say to the employers like, Hey, make sure that the people that are taking care of our kids can get to work. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I just, I just, I think about how much money the people at the top are making, but that, that, that information is not hidden or hard to find even. Every company files what's called a proxy document with the sec so if you google search the the name of a company and then proxy document you'll be able to find that document on the the sec website uh and that will tell you like the compensation for for all the high level executives for your company so uh if you google alphabet proxy document you'll find one i think the first result that comes up is the 2020 proxy document and you'll see there that uh Many of the executives got enormous stock rewards that year, including Sundar and multiple other executives are also awarded packages on the order of like 50 to $60 million worth of stock. And so that's for all like public companies. You'll be able to see what, what executives are, are awarded. Yeah, exactly. I guess that's very useful for anybody who's, you know, looking at their yearly salary increase or lack thereof and, and wondering, man, didn't we make a lot of money last year? Where'd that go? Yeah, you did. It went to probably four or five people. And it's funny because we hear about all the entitlement and, you know, overpay for the tens of thousands of people who are working for this company and their hard work is making so much money that, you know, enables those four or five people to have that kind of uh, wealth. But, you know, what about those? What about those workers? When we realized that the economy was probably going to start tanking and inflation went up, many, I think many people at Google were frustrated to find out that they were technically taking a pay cut because their, their compensation increase was below the, the rate of inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of conversation that folks were happening in the company of 
you know, will 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 you will you meet the the rate of inflation so that no one's taking a pay cut? And all the answers were like, well, we're paying, you know, we're paying, we're paying near top of market. And it's like, yeah, that's not what we asked you. <laughs> like, <laughs> what we asked you was, but then, but then, yeah, a bunch of our top execs got a pay bump, all going from six hundred fifty k a year to to one million. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all of them are are eligible to participate in a maximum two million dollar annual bonus program. So it's just like. Yeah. But remember, we can't, we can't give $1,500 a month to the people taking care of your kids. Just Is there anything else in terms of like the two tiered system that you think is important to talk about? I think, you know, just in general, I think that we have seen time and time again, that the system, like, a two-tiered workforce is just not good for for anybody. I think it's obviously not good for the temp vendors and contractors who are, who are not not sharing in the in the wealth that this company creates in a in a way that's you know relative to the work that they're doing and and how that actually drives the money that the company makes. But it's also bad for full-time employees because more and more of our jobs are going to be turned into contract jobs over time. Data centers are a great example where there used to be tons of ability for upward mobility in, in data center technician jobs and, and roles that used to be full-time employee roles have gotten turned into contract roles with little ability for mobility upwards, inconsistency and, and like contracts that might expire and not knowing whether it's going to get renewed up until like the day before. Right. So like insecurity around the job and there's, you know, it's more and more of our workforce is, is becoming that type of role. And I don't think that, I don't think anyone's, um, anyone's role is excluded from that. I think software engineers are just as likely to, to find themselves in a position one day where, where the jobs might be contracted out or where they might, they might find themselves on a, on a short-term contract that they were not involved in negotiating. Right. And I've said it, I think a couple of times, but like, I truly just think that the, the economics of it are, are so, I mean, so American in that it's, it's all short-term gain focused, right? Like yeah. I, I, if, if these jobs were full-time jobs, there'd be so much higher. Obviously people would be happier with the company. It would be better for our economy overall for people to have fucking healthcare and, and benefits mm, and not, and not worry oh about gosh, all these yes. things, but also like the, the, the inefficiencies again of, of having this artificial wall up and, and keeping people from talking to each other who are working on the same thing is just, it boggles my fucking mind time and time again. And I, you know, I hope that we, we are able to end it. I hope that we are able to, to truly change the system with, with our union and bring all these folks on as full-time employees. Uh, and I hope that listeners who work at the company who might be mm-hmm. of comparable size and also have a, a, a tiered workforce that looks like this, you know, recognize that these, these folks do matter and they're doing jobs that are contributing to uh, that stock price of, of the grants that you're getting and yep. your, company, your company can't run without them. This was not a thing that was even on my radar a couple of years ago, but is like so, so much of, I think my, my frustration with the company now is just knowing how many, how many people I think we, we exploit uh, mm-hmm. via the system. Last time we talked, you were very passionate about like unions generally and using them as a vehicle for social change. So I would love for you to speak a little bit on that before we wrap up. If yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I, I, I think I said this to you. Yeah. In mm-hmm. the last episode, but in, yeah. I think it was May. I, I, yeah, I think it was May. 
there's this big conference in Chicago called Labor Notes, whose their like slogan is is putting the movement back in the labor movement. And it was the the most hopeful I have felt about being a citizen of the United States in a long, long time being there that weekend. Because I think it really like be it software engineers or or, or flight attendants or warehouse workers at, at Amazon or baristas at Starbucks, having all these people together in the same room and I think really confronting, you know, being honest with each other about the reality that like the the way that this economy in this country the and the economy and our politics is set up is just not it's not fucking equitable. It's it's truly a shit show. And it is like, you know, most Americans are two paychecks away from from not being able to mm-hmm. afford the roof of their house. Is like this is not this is not a way that we should live and it's not a way that we need to live. And I think that our our politics are very frustrating in in their lack of responsiveness to these issues and on the time frames in which they do respond to these issues. And I think that like I mean, personally speaking, like I am not looking to electoral politics for solutions anymore. And I don't think we need to. And I think a lot of the the problems in this country just come from, I mean, it comes from economic inequality. It comes from artificial divisions that we, we've created along the lines of like race to, to pit people against each other. Mm-hmm. And it comes from corporate greed. And I am so, I'm like so insanely taken aback by how inspirational every fucking person I met at Labor Notes was and people's willingness to be like, I know we're not going to stand for this shit anymore. Like we're not, we're not going to do this, right? We don't need to live this way. And I think COVID, like, I think COVID really, I think COVID really woke that up in a lot of people where, you know, like, you know, grocery store workers and, and nurses and, and all these folks who needed to go in and do their jobs went in day after day after day. And it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're calling them heroes and we're, we're clapping at 7 PM. And, and these people are just like, I just want like a fucking raise. <laughs> I just want, I want to be able yeah. to just, I want to just be able to go into this job and come home and not worry about how, like if I'm going to be able to afford my rent this month or if I have enough money for the groceries or, or any of these things. Right. And the realization that like, these are not like, these are not jobs for like stupid people or like not jobs that don't matter or not jobs that like aren't deserved. Like these are all of these jobs are critical. Like we cannot, we literally cannot function as a as a society without these jobs. So like, why, why are we not paying people a living wage? Right. Um, so being in, you know, being in a conference with like several thousand people and, you know, fucking Bernie Sanders key, mm-hmm. keynote speaking and Chris Smalls of Amazon labor union. I was like, I was born for this fucking conference. Like this was, I'm so excited, but again, yeah, I think that like where I see us being actually able to move the needle is channeling all of our frustration into, into like our immediate our immediate workplaces, our immediate communities, the people around us and, and trying to take care of, of those people first. Right. And if we, and not to say like, Oh, that's the only thing that matters, but like that's, you can have a bigger impact in your community than you can like mm-hmm. on the national stage today. And if, if we all do that, that would make a huge difference. And I think that, I think a union is a pretty fucking great vehicle to, to try and make these changes through. So yeah, I'm, I'm all aboard. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> So totally um, before we wrap agree. up, tell the people where they can find you, where they can find Alphabet Workers Union. Tell them, you know, I'm sure there may be a listener or two who is employed by Alphabet. What should they know? Who should they reach out to? Yeah, totally. So if you work at Alphabet um, and you want to learn more about Alphabet Workers Union, 
You can visit us at alphabetworkersunion.org or I'm going to see if the short link works. It does. awu.fyi is also a link to our website. We're also on Twitter at Alphabet Workers. If you are not a worker at Alphabet, but you are an employee or a temp, a vendor, a contractor at a different tech company and you want to get started unionizing your workplace, I cannot recommend reaching out to Communication Workers of America enough. Specifically, let me just pull up the URL here and make sure this is right. Yeah, code-cwa.org. So that's c-o-d-e-cwa.org is the is the link to the Campaign to Organize Digital Employees website where there's a bunch of information on how to get organized and how to contact an organizer to get in touch with you. And yeah, I hope to see a bunch of new tech unions sprout up. And if you're not a member of the tech industry, you can also visit cwa.org and there's still a ton of resources for learning how to organize your workplace and getting connected with an organizer. All right, Rob, thank you so much for joining us for these two episodes. It was very informative and super wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Good night. Good night. Good night, y'all. May I be blunt with you? If you'd like to write in with any questions you'd like to have answered, topics you'd like covered, or other general nonsense, send Ramey and I an email at IWouldNeverKnowPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. doing this again oh we're gonna do this again are you sure oh and then we're gonna do it again and 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 again